You may take your seats. Good evening, everybody. Welcome. Uh, I heard there's a few visitors, so for those visitors, my name is Donnie de Tue, and I've got the privilege of leading this uh, congregation, the Linwood congregation. It's a privilege. As we started tonight, I just walked out and looked at the sunset, the little bit that I could see, uh, and just realized again what a privilege it is to be sharing the Word of God. Uh, and all of us have been called to do that. Might not be here, you might not know, but wherever we go, we are called to share the good news of Christ. What a blessing uh, that is. Um, and so we've been busy. If you've not been here, you've been away on holiday, uh, we've been busy studying, reading, and preaching through the books uh, or the book, the letter, 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians. For the past four weeks, every week, we looked at one chapter. And so if you want to go and read more or understand more about the history behind this letter, go and read Acts 17. Uh, it gives you a bigger insight into the letter 1 Thessalonians. But for those uh, that have missed it, so here's a quick recap. Paul and Timothy travel on their second or on Paul's second mission trip. Uh, he goes to Thessalonica and there he spends three weeks. Three weeks of sharing the good news, of sharing the gospel, sharing the story of Jesus Christ, his Lord and Savior, the one that he met on his way to Damascus. Um, and so after three weeks, he had to flee because the Jews living there wanted to persecute him. And so for his safety and more so for the safety of the believers, he then left the city. And so later on, he sends Timothy back to go and look and to, to see you know, if this this congregation, this church is healthy. And so on Timothy's return, he gives Paul most probably the, the greatest news ever, that this church is healthy and it's thriving. And so in that, we find just again testimony of the power of the gospel. Three weeks, church planted in three weeks, and then the guy that planted the church leaves. And so he sends somebody back to go and look, and he finds a healthy, thriving church. And the reason being is the gospel is enough. Gospel is enough. Church is not built upon a man. It's built upon a savior. It's built upon a living king. And so that's the first thing that I just found and, and, and just admired about just this history. And so 1 Thessalonians is Paul's first ever letter to a congregation. Although it is placed later on in the New Testament, it was his first letter. And so 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians literally was written, the two letters, three months apart. And so interesting that the overarching theme of both these letters are exactly the same. Our future hope. Our future hope. So let me pause there and ask you, what is your future hope? What is your future hope? Maybe the ideal soulmate. Yes? Maybe to retire quiet, and I know Morna is not there yet. He wants to put his head down and graft. I'm there. I want to retire, quiet down. So maybe that is your future hope. I see there's a few other people also here tonight. That is at that phase of maybe thinking about retirement. For me, at a young age, it was to become one of the most famous ballet dancers, my future hope. And then I saw, as I grew up, my structure and my build, and I realized that it will never happen. What is your future hope? And so for those that have been thinking about this rope, 
Let me try and explain what Paul is saying to us here. Our future hope for those that are in Christ, those that have come to a place where they've recognized Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, the one that died, that was buried, the third day He rose again, and He sits on the right hand of the Father. If you believe that with your heart and you confess that with your mouth, then you are in Christ. And so for us, Paul says, our future hope is the second coming. So if this rope resembles eternity, there with the branches, the beginning, when God created. Alright? And that little greenish lint that is hanging here, it is not Fred's. Um, it resembles Abram's life in this line of eternity. And so me standing here tonight, this is my little blip in this lifeline of eternity. But our future hope is a coming, the second coming of our Lord and Savior. Second coming. There will be a day, it is promised, that He will return to come and collect His bride, to take His bride back home. That is our future hope. And so Paul, knowing what these guys are facing in Thessalonica, persecution, they were literally killed for their faith. And various other things like we also face. In that, he writes to them and says, keep your eyes on the future hope. Because without the future hope, without us focusing on a future hope, today does not make sense. Your life will not make sense without a future hope. You will get caught up in everything that everybody else gets caught up in without a future hope. And so every chapter, go and read it, chapter 1 of 1 Thessalonians, chapter 2, chapter 3, chapter 4, in each of these chapters and chapter 5, he speaks about future hope. So he continuously tells them, well done for the showing great faith. Remember, there's a future hope. Keep on loving, but remember, there's a future hope. And so constantly he reminds them. And so through this letter, he wants to remind us as believers that we have a future hope. Future hope that is not just a blip on a line. And so as you see, it goes out the door forever and ever. And so in this reminding them about a future hope, he then points in chapter 4. So if you understand that you have a future hope, then live a life that pleases God. And so that is our theme for tonight. What we're going to look at tonight is, what does this life look like? Knowing that you've got a future hope, what does this life look like that pleases God? And so you can open your Bibles with me. We're going to go to 1 Thessalonians 4. 1 Thessalonians 4 verse 1. Finally then, brothers, we ask and urge you in the Lord Jesus that you received from us, listen to this, how you ought to walk and to please God, just as you are doing, that you do so more and more. Just as you have received from us the way that you should walk and live to please God, we are urging you, we are compelling you to do so more and more. And so he starts off with this word, finally. And so as a preacher, when you use that word, finally, 
everybody wakes up and they start listening to your sermon because they know that you finished. And so this is not what Paul is doing here. So the book of 1 Thessalonians has got two parts. First part, he commends them for walking the good walk, for their faith and everything that they have done in his absence. And then he changes the focus to the second part. Finally, and this is where in the next two chapters he speaks about the way to walk. The way to walk. Verse 2. For you know what instructions we gave you through the Lord Jesus. For this is the will of God, your sanctification, that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passions of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God, that no one transgress and wrong his brother in this matter. Because the Lord is an avenger in all these things, as we told you beforehand and solemnly warned you, for God has not called us for impurity, but in holiness. Therefore, whoever disregards this, disregards not man, but God, who gives His Holy Spirit to you. Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourself have been taught by God to love one another. For that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. But we urge you, there's that word again, brothers, to do so more and more. We urge you to do so more and more. And so the first thing we see, first thing that Paul highlights about a life that pleases God, we find in, in verse 3 and verse 7. Verse 3, verse 7. For this is the will of God, your sanctification. Verse 7, for God has not called us from impurity, but in holiness. God calls us to be holy. And so the first thing that he points to, way of walking and pleasing God, if you've got a future hope and you're hanging on to the belief and the hope and the knowledge of a returning Christ, Lord and Savior, then how you live here, first thing that he points out is be sanctified. Now let me quickly rabbit trail and just explain that to you. There's three words that you need to understand uh, in faith. First one being justification. You can write that down. Justification. Second one, sanctification. And the third one, glorification. Okay, so justification, sanctification, glorification. Justification, let me explain this to you. So you were walking your life different places, different ages, doesn't really matter, and there comes a point where you understand how lost you are and that you need a Lord and Savior. And so in that moment, when you come to grips with this, and by grace, God calls you into faith. When you repent, you believe with your heart, and you confess with your mouth that He is Lord and Savior, and you turn away from your sins and you turn to God, in that moment, you have been justified. And so the word justification means to be in right standing with God. So I was walking away from God, living a fleshly life, and I turn towards God. In that moment, God sees you as holy because He, through His Son, have justified you. This is not something done by human effort. 
but it's something that we receive by grace. And so what is the meaning of holiness? Holiness, simple, to be separated. So here I was walking, living a life in flesh, looking like all the brothers and sisters around me at Tux, or wherever you've studied, the best university being Stellenbosch, forgive me. Or Pukka, I see there's some Pukka people here tonight. All right, so you're walking this way, and in that moment when you are being justified, you are justified, you are separated. And so you are no longer seen as a sinful man or woman. So in God's eyes, you are holy. You are set apart. Glorification speaks about the day, the second coming, when God will finally take away all the sinful nature and we will receive a glorified body and we will be in His presence forever and ever. Glorification. And so sanctification, what Paul is speaking about here, if we go back to the Scripture, he's saying because you've been justified now in your conduct, the way that you are living, you need to be sanctified. You need to become holy in what you do and how you do things. You are seen as holy by God, but now in your conduct, be holy. All right, so let's go back to that scripture. For this, verse 3, for this is the will of God. Interesting, interesting. How many of you have been on a seminar or bought a book or listened to a podcast? You want to know how to find out what is God's will in life. Yes, for that soulmate. Yes, thank you for being honest. You're the only one. I know you're not. You know, to find that. You know, what do I need to do with my life and how do I hear God's will? But what about God's will revealed to us already in the Word? Chapter 4, this is God's will. Chapter 5, go to chapter 5, quickly page around. Chapter 5, verses uh, 18, give thanks in all circumstances for this is the will of God. See, we are, we are all seeking God's will for our needs. But do you obey God's revealed will in Scripture for your life already? And so what is God's will? Our sanctification. Our being set right in the way we live. And in their case, Paul is speaking about sexual immorality. Verse 3, For this is the will of God, your sanctification, now listen how, what he says, how does, how does this look? How should we live when it comes to being sexual moral? That you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his own body in holiness and honor, not in the passions of, uh, of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. And so to understand why he's speaking about sexual immorality, you need to understand the culture. You see, in Thessalonica, there was a, many a temples, but there was one specific temple. A temple that was dedicated to the worship of a Greek goddess, Aphrodite. And so the Greek way of living was a very permissive uh, type of living, typically like the gods that they worship. And so Aphrodite... In this temple, uh, there was male and female prostitutes. And so part of worship was to, to engage in sexual acts with these prostitutes. 
as an act of worship to this goddess. As an act to worship to this goddess. Listen to what this Greek philosopher says. Demosthenes said this about the Greek way of life. We keep prostitutes for pleasure. We keep mistresses for the day-to-day needs of our body. And we keep wives for begetting of children and for the faithful guardianship of our homes. And so Paul, understanding, knowing just the environment that these believers find themselves in, this is their, this is their threat. This is part of their way of living, the culture way. And that's why he speaks into this and he says, Not so with you. Be sanctified. Be sanctified. Be sanctified. You cannot live and walk and look like those around you. And so what is sexual immorality? It is anything that if you are married, it is anything that defiles the marriage bed. If you are single, it is any sexual act that is taking place, any outside of marriage. And so Paul is saying to them, you need to look different than the world. If not, you are caught up in sexual immoral conduct. Pornography. Lustful ideas about somebody. Flirting with somebody on WhatsApp or whatever means of communication. Stalking, ladies. Stalking somebody on Facebook. Yes, I saw this beautiful looking God and I'm going to go and visit him on Facebook. We laugh about it, but it happens. And so that happens from a lustful place. Why do you go there? Men, stalking people on Facebook. Any form of sex outside of marriage. This is what Paul speaks about to this people. And so, again, many, many, many years later, we find ourselves still with a culture where this has become the norm. And so we laughed at this Greek guy, but this has become the norm of our day and age. And so Paul is saying to them, you have been justified. You have been justified. You have been set right with God. You are holy. Now be holy in your conduct. And so what is God saying to us tonight? You have been justified through the death of my son, through the love that I have for you. Now become holy in your conduct. Not so with you. Not so with you. And I know that I know that there is some of us sitting here tonight that is caught up in this way of living. But maybe some of you are sitting here and say, Donnie, I don't struggle with those things. And so keep in mind, when he speaks about sanctification, he speaks into that culture. But sanctification remains sanctification. And so it might not be sexual immorality for you, but he's saying to you, in your conduct, you need to be set apart. You need to look different. You cannot worry about the things the world worries about because you've got a future hope. You cannot respond the way people respond about inflation and the fuel price and anything and everything that is going wrong in our world. You have been called to be set apart to look different because of a future hope. 
because of a future hope. In marriage, for those of you that are married, your marriage cannot look like the worldly marriages. Because you have been set apart. You have been called to be holy in your conduct. How you go about and engage with alcohol cannot look like the world looks. Because if you do, in your conduct, you are not holy. In your conduct, you are not holy, if that is the way you go about it. How you react and speak about different cultures. If it sounds like the world, then you are not being holy in your conduct. We cannot react and speak the same way about different cultures like the world does. And so Paul, first thing that he points out is what does this life look like that pleases God? It is a life that has been set apart. And so what you need to understand, this is not done by human effort. This is not done by human effort. For the grace of God, listen to this, has appeared. So in this moment of your justification, grace has appeared to you. What is grace? Receiving something that you do not deserve. It's been given to us. Mercy means we did not get what we deserved. That is what Jesus took upon Himself. And so He gave us grace. And so by, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people. Training us, listen to this, training us to renounce ungodliness. Grace is something that we receive that we do not deserve, but more so, it gives you the ability to renounce ungodly lifestyles. It renounces, gives you the ability. Training us to renounce ungodliness, worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives. So this is not done by human effort. It is what the Spirit does through us by the grace of God. It empowers you to renounce an ungodly lifestyle. And so what we need to understand tonight is that we cannot be in a place where we sing songs about His voice making mountains move, setting people free, but you're sitting here and you're saying, this is just something that I'm going to go to the grave with. I cannot overcome this. In your human effort, yes. But the same power that raised Christ from the grave is in you, Ephesians 2. Same power that rose Jesus from the dead is in you. And it gives you the ability to renounce an ungodly lifestyle. And so if this word, it is true. Let me rather rephrase that sentence, if it is true. It is true. Then why do we keep on walking the way the world is walking? Indulging in worldly pleasures. It's definitely not because you cannot overcome it. In Christ Jesus, you have been set free. You have been made new. And so God's will is for you to walk in that. And to live a sanctified life. Verse 9. We just go back to Colossians. 
Verse 9. Now concerning brotherly love. And so the words now concerning almost makes you think he's speaking about something different. Now he's just introducing the second topic of how to live and walk to please God. Right, so the first one being sanctified, the second one. Now concerning brotherly love, you have no need for anyone to write to you. Listen to this testimony. For you yourselves have been taught by God to love one another. For that indeed is what you are doing to all the brothers throughout Macedonia. Not just in their church, not just in their city, but in their province. They are living a life of loving What an amazing testimony. But we urge you, brothers, to do so more and more. We urge you, brothers, to do so more and more. And so the love that he speaks about here is Philadelphia. Love for one another, the agape love that he starts off with. Then he turns to the love that they have to have for people outside. He's speaking about the Philadelphia love, the brotherly love, the family love. And so he's calling them and he's saying the following. He's saying to them, This word describes people who meet the needs of others. It is not just mere talk or superficial socializing. This is really living it. Brotherly and family love. And can I just pause there and say tonight, as the leader of this church, can I commend you? Because in my time of leading this church, I have come to experience Philadelphia love in this church. I've seen how people have stepped out, not just talking about things, but walking into somebody's life and caring and providing and being there. Just recently, the memorial service of one of our elder ladies, a few weeks ago, we had so much food and ladies just coming to serve. What an amazing testimony. So I want to commend you as Paul is commending this, but more so he's saying, I urge you to do so more and more. Why? Because we have been called to be ambassadors of Christ. And by sharing this love, you give somebody else the opportunity to experience family, care, and more so, experience Jesus. How so, Donnie? Well, let me read you this testimony. Behind me will be a picture of a guy by the name of Rian Swiglar, the co-founder of the South African Satanic Church, Rian Swiglar, has resigned from the church after he had a personal encounter with Jesus Christ. He had a personal encounter with Jesus Christ. Make a mental note. Swiglar said in a live video on his Facebook page that he hoped to quietly slip out of back door because he did not think people would be so interested in his reason for leaving and dissolving his membership. Swichelar explained that he joined this movement at a time when he was broken. He was gay and had certain abilities. He had certain powers. He said he resonated with a lot of what Uh, was being shared in the satanic church. Swichelar said in May, he was interviewed on a Cape Town radio station where he proclaimed that he did not believe in the existence of Jesus Christ. May this year. After the interview, 
one of the staff, a lady from the station, walked up to him and hugged him. Philadelphia. She hugged him. She held me in a way that I've never been loved. She just said, it was nice to meet you in person. A week later, I saw on WhatsApp that she is a Christian. I never had a Christian showing me so much love and acceptance unconditionally. That stayed with me. He said a week later, I had to perform a ritual to see how to get more power and influence. And Jesus appeared to him. I said, if it's you, Jesus, you need to prove it. And he flooded me with the most beautiful love. And I recognized that immediately because the women at the radio station showed me the same love. I urge you, brothers and sisters, to do so more and more because we are called to be ambassadors of Christ. We have all and each one of us received the ministry of reconciliation by just loving you give somebody the ability to be reconciled to God by experiencing love that they've never experienced before. We urge you, brothers, and I urge you tonight to do so more and more. We have been called to live lives, sanctified lives, lives set apart unto God, not unto the world. Set apart unto God, not our own worldly desires and pleasures. Set apart unto God. We have been called to love, not just here, but out there. And so this, with this future hope in mind, with whatever we are facing in your blip on this line of eternity, you need to understand that if you lose focus of our future hope, this year will not make sense to you. And so keep your eyes focused, your faith, your hope focused on the second coming of our Lord and Savior and live a life that matters for the kingdom here and now. Finally, C.S. Lewis said the following about believers who lost their focus on eternity. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world, eternity, that they have become so ineffective in this one. It is since believers have largely ceased to think, to believe, to hope in the second coming, that they have become so ineffective in this one. Because they lose sight, because we lose sight of eternity, we get caught up in worldly things and we worry and we sound and we live like everybody that is not in Christ. Not so with us. This is what this letter is saying. This is what this letter is calling us to. Not so with us. You have been paid for by love through the blood of a son that a loving Father gave. When did He give? When you least deserved it. When you least deserved it. 
he gave. When you least deserved it, he gave. And so with this future hope, can we live lives that makes the eternal difference? What is your future hope? What is your future hope tonight? I started off with that question. What is your future hope? Is your future hope restricted to your life here on earth? See, God's will for us is to be sanctified. God's will for us is to live lives that share the Philadelphia love with a broken world.